0: Section 3 of An American Vendetta. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An American Vendetta, a story of barbarism in the United States, by T.C. Crawford. Chapter 3a, Part 1. Chapter 3. How the Feud Began, the story of the brutal warfare and the leading spirits in it. I propose now to give in brief, and in their consecutive order, the crimes which properly can be credited to the feud. Aside from the killing of Harmon McCoy in 1863, the motive of the breaking out of the feud in 1882 can be directly traced to a love affair between Johnson Hatfield and Rosanna McCoy. Rosanna McCoy was the daughter of Randall McCoy, the chief of the McCoy family in Pike County. Johns Hatfield, in the language of the Mountaineers, took up with her, captured her, and brought her over to the West Virginia side. It was during this period that Bill Statton, a brother-in-law of Ellison and Anse Hatfield, was killed. He was a quarrelsome young fellow, according to the reports, and had had repeated quarrels with Sam McCoy. The latter was one of the most active of the McCoys. His character corresponded very much to that of Captain Hatfield, on the opposite side. Both were killers. Both were very fond of hunting, the noble sport of man. Sam McCoy once chased Statton up to Ellison Hatfield. Young Staten, from behind the back of Ellison Hatfield, snapped a pistol at McCoy. Ellison Hatfield stopped that quarrel, but later Sam McCoy met Staten. Sam was accompanied by his brother, Paris. The two young men began shooting at each other on sight. Staten was hit. They advanced towards each other rapidly, and in the final clinch young Staten bit or set his teeth in the cheek of Sam McCoy. Paris McCoy then came up with his revolver and blew out the brains of Staten. Now, it must be borne in mind that these two young men were tried by a Hatfield magistrate and acquitted. Paris, who had no part in the fight beyond coming up and killing Staten as he was struggling with his brother, was promptly arrested and, as promptly, acquitted. Sam, who escaped, was not captured until about a year afterwards, when he was tried before Wall Hatfield and also acquitted. This was previous to 1882. Taking the law into their own hands. Now comes the second step in the procession of incidents. The McCoys were very much irritated against Johns Hatfield for his leading away Rosanna McCoy. She had returned to the Kentucky side. Although she had lived with Johns Hatfield, they were not married and when she returned to the Kentucky side, he still continued to visit her. So the McCoys resolved to get even with Johns the next time he crossed the river, and in order to do so, they made up their minds to use the weapons of the law. They procured from the local justice of the peace, after some difficulty, a warrant for Jaunce's arrest for carrying concealed weapons. The burlesque of this is in the fact that this warrant was handed over to two men who were themselves loaded down with revolvers and knives. At one o'clock that night, Johns Hatfield was captured, and a party of nine men started with him for the Pike County Jail. Rosanna McCoy was with him at the time of the arrest, which was at one o'clock in the morning. Half-dressed, she rushed to the nearest horse on her father's place, mounted it, and started out at a breakneck pace on one of the roughest roads in the world. Over rocks, down deep declivities, through the beds of running streams, she rode like the wind until she reached the house of Anse Hatfield. She notified him what had been done. Anse Hatfield immediately turned out his crowd. They crossed the river three of them came up in time to head off the party of nine who were carrying Johns hatfield to the jail they stood them up under the cover of darkness with their winchesters and demanded the release of the suffering innocent who had been arrested for the carrying of concealed weapons Anse Hatfield told me afterwards that he gave the crowd a good tongue-lashing for what they had been trying to do with his boy, but I have been told that he then and there voted in favour of killing every one of them. So great was his rage, and was only persuaded to stay his hand by the calm, good advice of Elias Hatfield, who is is to-day one of the best men to be found on either side of the river in this most melancholy region. The Murder of Ellison Hatfield This quarrel over the girl and the bad blood engendered by this tremendous night ride and raid led directly to the killing of Ellison Hatfield. This is the first pronounced and striking crime which led to the many which have followed in the history of this feud of blood. Ellison Hatfield was noted throughout the country as being a peacemaker. He was a strong, square, resolute man, always anxious to avoid a quarrel when he could do so without appearing to endanger his reputation for courage but all of the Hatfields were inclined to be domineering, and they are so closely allied by marriage with the McCoys and with other families in Kentucky that they have from time to time taken as much interest in the local elections on the west side of the Tug River as they have on the east. In 1882, Ellison Hatfield, with a number of the members of his family, went over on election day into Pike County, and while there became engaged in a controversy with the McCoys. There had been another subject for dispute between the Hatfields and McCoys besides the question of Rosanna. There had been a dispute about some hogs. Floyd Hatfield had lost some hogs that had strayed among the McCoy pigs, and he had to appeal to a magistrate to recover his property. This most petty of subjects led to a very serious dispute. This dispute was brought to focus by one of the Hatfields becoming engaged in a quarrel with one of the McCoys over the matter of a dollar and seventy five cents. When they began to draw their weapons and show signs of fight. Ellis and Hatfield then interfered, and as he did so four of the McCoys closed upon him and killed him. Three of the McCoys stabbed him with their knives. He was cut in at least twenty-four different places. One of the younger McCoys, who had been represented as being too much of a child to be involved in this murder, was yet the age of sixteen. This is quite old enough for any such affair as this, There are numerous witnesses, moreover, who saw this youngest fellow doing most of the cutting in the back of Ellison Hatfield. Floyd McCoy, who escaped and who never was tried for participation in this murder, is said to have run up and fired a pistol directly against the body of Ellison Hatfield. Elias Hatfield was present, and he came to the rescue of his kinsman, only too late. He chased and ran down one of the leading McCoys, shooting his revolver at him five times in the chase. I had the story of this from Elias Hatfield's own lips. The great Hatfield family, made up of mountaineers, hunters, and strong, daring men, were never so badly hurt in their pride as when Ellison Hatfield fell. They arrested the three McCoys and carried them across the river to the West Virginia side to await the result of the injuries to Ellison Hatfield. Ellison Hatfield was attacked on Monday, and on the following Wednesday, he died. After his death, a mysterious party took the three McCoys over to the Kentucky side and blew out their brains, leaving them on the ground where they were shot. The Kentucky authorities have indicted the guards who were placed over them for this offense, but Elias Hatfield, who was one of the guards, says that a strong party came up and took possession of the prisoners and went off with them in the darkness and that the guards were in no way responsible. Common report places the execution, or the murder, just as you please, of these three men upon Ants Hatfield, who is today the leader of the Hatfield side. Although Ants Hatfield can probably show that he was not actually present at the killing, yet the credit of it undoubtedly belongs to him. This will be more clearly shown when the interview which I had with this chief of outlaws comes to be read, where he explained to me his theory concerning the killing, and under what circumstances he considered it justified. A Truce for a While This very decided act of retaliation, upon the part of the Hatfields, for a time, subdued the McCoys. For five years there was nothing more than the ordinary neighborhood quarreling. Murders which were committed during those years in brawls, barroom rows, election fights, and disputes, which grew out of trials at court, were incidental killings which had no relation to the great feud in 1887 the local authorities of pike county began to agitate the subject of punishing the murderers and rewards were proclaimed by the governor through the influence of perry klein a brother-in-law of randolph mccoy it is charged against klein that he got up this whole business to make money and that he thought if he could get the governor to issue a proclamation of a large reward that he would be able to make terms with the hatfields and get them to pay him a good sum of money for getting the rewards withdrawn Klein appears in various roles throughout this controversy. In one place he writes to Anse Hatfield for $500, and obtains it upon the theory that he is to get the governor to set the rewards aside. Klein overstepped himself in this, and was unable to procure the revocation of the proclamation, and so he returned the money to Anse Hatfield. Last year he was the unswerving prosecutor of the Hatfields, and everybody in connection with them. Now he is the special attorney of the Kentuckians in Pike County Jail, who were on the Hatfield side. Undoubtedly, the stimulus of the rewards stirred up local feeling. It was such an unusual thing to punish for murder, that nothing could have been done in this direction if the rewards had not been offered. But the administration of the law had been so long abused that it was not possible to put it in good working order through the simple means of offering a reward. End of Chapter 3a, Part 1